Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, March 14th. We begin with a look at the ongoing weekend protests in Calgary's Beltline community. We speak with global reporter Sarah Offen about what, if anything more, can be done by city police to put an end to these protests, which are causing unrest for residents of that downtown community. Next, we discuss the latest developments in the war in Ukraine. We talk with David Perry, president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, For some insight into the Russian strategy at this point, which includes targeting civilians and even hospitals. It's a new initiative being put forth by the Calgary Public Library Foundation, which encourages reading and at the same time celebrates Calgarians who've made an impact in our community. We speak with the subject of Chapter 1 of this initiative, Jim Button, co-founder of Village Brewery and the Event Group. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday, our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. This week, we meet Brenda Frame, creator of Frame's Guest House, and hear how she provides a home away from home for hospital patients and their families. Big weekend in the Beltline area. You've heard it in the news. You likely saw it on television, again, with a, a big protest down in that area, continuing a freedom protest, Andy. Yeah, and here's where, you know, where it gets a little, uh, the waters get muddied. Because we're used to seeing protests in into the downtown core, but they've been happening for weeks and even a couple of weeks. Today's the 14th. A couple of weeks after all restrictions in the city and the province, for the most part, have been lifted. With details on this weekend's protest and uh, what's been going on on a regular basis, we're joined by Sarah Offen, Global Calgary reporter. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning to you. So it continues. So it continues. And I was kind of shocked to see the images. I I thought, you know, there was some kind of demonstration still happening, but I was kind of shocked to see the size of it. Can you give us an update of uh, what was seen on Saturday downtown? Yeah, and and that's really interesting. Police estimating that there were around 2,000 protesters that were uh, downtown on Saturday. About 1,500 of them were uh, anti-vaccine, anti-mandate protesters, um, which we've been seeing uh, wander through the Beltline every Saturday for months now. Um, So in the face of that, we also had counter-protesters, police estimating that crowd around 500 people that were basically trying to um, stop this, this well, they walked through what they've called a, 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 the Freedom Mile. So they tried to stop them in front of Western Canada High School. And uh, essentially, that's where we saw that tent standoff that happened along 17th Avenue Saturday with uh, police and, and specifically police pushing back against those counter protesters with bikes. And that's the video that's getting a lot of traction online. Yeah, there are a lot of people saying, aren't there, Sarah, that, you know, the police have been kind of rough with the counter protesters and just letting these other freedom protesters wander through and do their thing that they've got, you know, booths set up, they're selling stuff. And and the mayor is very, very unhappy about what's going on. And she's been very vocal and, and, you know, going going as far to say that this is not a protest, it's a, it's a parade that they should um, be getting permits and that bylaws are not being enforced. So she's been very critical of police handling of this. But she, Mayor Jody Gondek also saying that, um, you know, recognizing the fact that when you have 1,500 protesters versus 500, it might be easier for police to then push back um, that smaller crowd versus um, the larger one. It's hard to see exactly what happens when you look at a a short video clip, and that's what police are highlighting um, following this. The police commission, however, uh, is going to be looking into this, into police handling of this, and specifically working with city officials as well as the Beltline Neighborhoods Association 
organization to try and come up with a bit of a plan uh, in terms of going forward. How can we sort of get past this? Again, all of the, the mandates have basically been dropped, but there's still a lot of discontent and still a lot of divisiveness that uh, is being felt here downtown. And at this point, you know, Sarah, as far as anything illegal besides, you know, some of the, you know, clashes and, and the tension, so to speak, is there anything that can be done? I mean, is this a, a bylaw issue or can, could it get down to noise or something? Because, I mean, we all have a right to protest, right? Oh, it's a messy one, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there's there's questions about whether or not they should be having a, a permit in place. The mayor also suggesting that if they want to protest, that that should be happening at City Hall or in front of the Hayes Building or McDougal, depending on whether they're protesting provincial or, or, or city mandates. Um, so so there's those questions. But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a messy one in terms of whether it's a, a noise complaint or whether it's a permit question or or that sort of thing so it'll be interesting to see exactly how this sort of all continues going forward whether protesters are are committed enough that they're going to um continue to to do this it seems to be the case that they will so um how they're going to approach this going forward is going to be interesting and how the city and specifically the police approach it is um really going to be what we're watching for and sarah even the premier stepping into it and saying we could spend the rest of our lives in this society arguing over covid which doesn't make a lot of sense to me or we could just move forward so what happens today is is council getting together today so they're going to be meeting in a, in a town hall tomorrow and they're going wow. to be working with the police commission with with um with with calgary police officers and and the mayor has recognized that you know they're not the ones in charge they can't tell police officers what to do but it sounds like uh, there's a willingness on both sides to kind of work and move forward so that um people in the belt line can can try and get some peace i guess on on saturday's um instead of sort of what what they've been experiencing mm-hmm. downtown recently All right, good stuff. Thank you so much, Sarah. We appreciate the update. You're welcome. That's Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen. And we've got one heck of a good text from a resident and a listener here to Mornings with Sue and Andy about what it's like to be downtown on Saturday. So Cassie sent us the email that she has sent in to the police because she now feels... You know, she's scared to leave her home on Saturdays and nobody should have to feel like that. So she says she's a resident of the Beltline in Calgary. And this is her email. I'm very concerned about my personal safety. Three weeks ago, while coming out of a store on 17th Ave at 11th Street, around 2.30 in the afternoon, I was wearing a mask. I was swarmed by protesters. I called out for help as I saw two police officers within feet of me. They looked at me and kept on walking as I got yelled at, screamed at and called vile names. Thankfully, another individual with a mask came and stood beside me and we huddled together until the protesters were done accosting us. I was shaking with fear and now I no longer leave my home from 1 to 4 p.m. every Saturday. I'm fearful. I'm scared. I'm tired of picking up garbage littered all over my property. I'm tired of the police horses pooping all over the street and not cleaning up afterwards. I'm tired of the headaches I suffer for days on end after these protesters leave my neighborhood. This has to stop. Wow. Can you imagine? So you're afraid to leave your house between one and four every Saturday to go out and do whatever it is that you should be free to go yeah. out and do. Well, and, and to that point, you know, with the mayor, whether you agree with the mayor or not, you know, 
I, I think that we have to have, you know, we have that right to protest, but take it to the right place. You know, take it to City Hall, maybe yes. an Olympic, maybe not even Olympic Plaza. because families sense. like to, Yeah. The, the Beltline, though, there's so many, not just the residents, but the businesses that are finally having that opportunity to, to kind of get back to some normalcy. And then not just somebody like Cassie who lives there. If you're thinking, hey, let's go kick around 17th Avenue and get a coffee. Yeah. Who's going to go down there? On a Saturday. And I understand that maybe that's what they want. They want that kind of attention. But what about the businesses? What about the residents? Who've suffered through all of this, yeah. right? And even the mayor saying it's like a parade because at Central Memorial Park, it's a festival. They've got merch and food vendors, no permits or licenses. Rob says he drove by a small protest in Edmonton on the weekend. He said he used to support the protest a few yeah. months ago. But now, what are you protesting and why? I Absolutely. So we'll see what happens. We will. Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to escalate. Over the weekend, a Russian airstrike killed 35 people at a military base near the Polish border. The city of Mariupol is also being targeted by airstrikes, creating food and water supply shortages. We're joined to discuss uh, with military expert Dr. David Perry to give us an update. Good morning, uh, David. Thank you for taking the time with us. Good morning to you. Uh, what can you tell us? I know that, you know, over the past couple of weeks, they've been talking about the strategy the Russian military has been using and, and hearing that it sounds like they're in it for the long haul, certainly not going to pack up. Where do you think we are in the Russian invasion at this point? Well, I certainly think that there's been absolutely no indication to this point in time, uh, as you say, that the Russians are, are preparing to cut this short despite some early difficulties. Uh, and I would say that I, even though uh, it's a little hard to put it in perspective. It is still relatively early. Um, three weeks is not um, that long a time just generally. And keeping in mind that Ukraine is a large country with a large, well-educated, um, uh, fairly well-defended population that we're, we're still pretty uh, early into this. We've already seen the Russians have uh, unfortunately shifted away from kind of a, a lighter touch, cleaner um, campaign they tried to wage for a couple days at the beginning to what's now more of a uh, kind of a traditional from a Russian point of view way of engaging in conflict, uh, which focuses a lot more on heavy bombardment uh, of a lot of different areas, including civilian ones. So things will, I think, unfortunately only get messier from here. Yeah, and the the civilian deaths, as you're, as you're mentioning, and then we also know over the weekend a military training center was bombed. Anything that happened over the weekend that, that kind of struck you as, as a bit of a change in, in how Putin and the Russian forces are, are taking control now? The civilian uh, bombing, unfortunately, isn't all that notable because that's been a fairly consistent trend line uh, and one that I think we can expect to see only increase. I think it was notable that the uh, the strikes on that uh, training area um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's very close uh, to the Polish border and uh, therefore NATO territory. And the, to the extent that the Russians increased that activity in the extreme west of Ukraine, which hasn't really seen very much uh, action to this point in time, does raise the potential for something to happen um, that would uh, potentially lead to R Russia um, getting into um, uh, an inadvertent uh, or, or deliberate, for that matter, attack on NATO territory, which would raise the stakes quite significantly. But I think that also that it, that strike seemed to be falling off of a fairly recent comment by the Russian leadership that uh, they're going to consider the support that is coming from the West and from NATO to Ukraine to be a legitimate military target. And that training center was um, reportedly training some of the international fighters that have come to join the conflict. You mentioned, you know, and I, we were talking about this off mic as well, in, in the sense that it was that close to the Polish border, whether or not it's intentional or unintentional in war. If any of the combat in any of the wars taken uh, onto the other side of the border, for example, 
into NATO territory. We've heard time and time again, NATO wants to stay on the sidelines. The Americans saying they're going to stay on the sidelines. Would there be any choice if the war is moved into NATO territory or a NATO country? I think everyone that's spoken on behalf of the alliance has been unequivocal that if the Russians were to do that, um, that it would invoke uh, Article 5, the collective defense uh, provision of, of the NATO treaty, and, and NATO would be forced to respond. And I think that the key there is that given the proximity to the Polish border, so if, if that strike was carried out by aircraft, as an example, you're talking about uh, a literal matter of a few seconds under a minute difference between an aircraft being in a position to hit that target versus one that would be a little bit further west. And so any responding NATO forces uh, it significantly shrinks the amount of time you can have to react and to know where those Russian aircraft are going, if that's what it is, or a missile, um, because you're you're dealing with proximity that's so tight um, that actually determining what the final destination and what the intended target at becomes really, really difficult. David, we'll continue watching what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, Maybe we'll check in with you again. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Good to join you. Thank you. David Perry, president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. There's a new community initiative being launched by the Calgary Public Library Foundation in recognition of Calgary community builder, entrepreneur, and philanthropist Jim Button. To find out all about it, we are talking to the man himself this morning, Jim Button. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. What a pleasure to check in with you. Uh, People might recognize you a little bit more as one of the co-founders of Village Brewery and the event group. You are a man about town, that's for sure. I love that they're honoring you. Tell us a little bit about uh, sort of, you know, it's a three-pronged campaign that the library is doing. Tell us a little bit about this program. Well, it's such a great idea. And it it started with uh, Avnish Beach and Soren Mehta. So, Avnish's wife and, and son. And they've made a mission to uh, a statement that they're going to donate a million dollars over their lifetime to the public library. And so they are taking it one chapter at a time. And this uh, project here, the chapter one buttons, happens to be the first chapter. And they're, uh, they've asked me to, uh, the way I can help is to reach out to a 101 community connectors and see which, uh, which books they might find interesting or relatable to me and my family. And uh, then it would go onto a list and encourage people to come down to any one of the libraries um, and take out one of those books. Giving recognition to somebody who certainly deserves it, to Jim, to yourself, but also encouraging reading. It's kind of win-win. And I want to talk about, you know, why you have decided to, to, to give back and to kind of immerse yourself into the community. I think we met 25 years ago at mm. Inglewood Sunfest. You've, you've not stopped. Why is community important to you? Oh, geez. You know, you watch what's going on around the world right now and you start realizing how much we rely on each other and how connected we are. And the better, uh, the better connected we are, the more we communicate with each other, the more we take care of each other, the better off we are. And I'll tell you, li- literary challenges are are some of the bigger challenges um my wife uh, at one point was distributing books to uh, the food bank when uh, she was uh and and the purpose for this was to try and break that literacy cycle the literacy cycle and uh once you start breaking those things you start getting educated you start being able to uh to uh break some of these these barriers that are in front of you 
And so understanding that all those things are all connected, I can't help but stay connected myself. And you truly are. You know, I love this quote from Tracy Johnson, who's the CEO of the Calgary Public Library Foundation. She says, we're proud to launch this initiative in Jim's name and encourage community members to build connections through small acts of kindness. And that really describes you and all that you've done over the years in this city. Tell us a little bit about you, Jim. Update us on your journey for folks who don't know you. You're living with terminal cancer. You're very vocal about it. How are you doing? And and how does this kind of fit into the things that you want to continue to do in your life? Oh, great question. I, uh, yeah, so terminal cancer, uh, discovered, uh, the terminal part was discovered 2016, told I had a year to live, and, uh, here I am six years later. So all these projects I, I picked up and said, okay, I better get working on really fast. I've had a little bit longer time to play with them. Um, I think, uh, I think once you have a traumatic experience like that, you, you, it really focuses you. I've always been focused on community giving, but it's really focused some of the initiatives that Tracy and I have gotten involved in. And one of them was uh, when you're in, when you have cancer, it's amazing how much um, the psychosocial aspect of it is the hardest part. You know, you have a lot of physical challenges, but the mental challenges really start taking effect. And so we saw that um, children's cancers were having a lot of, children survive the cancers now more than ever but no supports or, or or a need for more supports so we started up a pediatric psychosocial oncology uh, fundraising program to try and raise funds for research for that we're working on the library uh, the village is village Bury has got 300 plus not-for-profit organizations they're working with our goal there is to raise uh, is to spend 10 percent of our bottom line um, back into the community. So mm-hmm. I'm in, uh, I've been retired. I've been on uh, disability for four years because yeah. I spent, a, I spent a bunch of years in the hospital. Um, and uh, I can't see doing anything else other than trying to make a better city. So I really love that you guys have reached out and given me a chance to have a chat. Well, we love what you do, Jim, and I'm happy to hear that you're chapter one of the <laughs> new initiative. Thank you so much. We're going to direct pe- people to libraryfoundation.ca. That's libraryfoundation.ca. Thanks, Jim. You bet. Thanks, guys. Jim Button, community leader, co-founder of Village Brewery and the event group. You know, sometimes motivation comes in the form of a book or a speech, but sometimes it comes in the form of a person. Brenda Frame is a Calgary woman who inspires me with all she does, including creating a guest house within her own home for the families of hospital patients. I wanted to share her story with you, so we welcome to Motivational Monday, Brenda Frame. Hi, Brenda. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Hey, okay, first off, tell us, we'll get into the, the why and, and how it all came to be, but tell us first off about the Frame Guest House. What exactly is it? Well, the Frame Guest House is a place for people to stay if they're supporting someone in the hospital or they're in town for some kind of a medical treatment or a procedure. So it's a place that we're going to support them as a member of, like, like they're a member of our family, really, and look after them while they go through some kind of an experience at the hospital. So, so why did you feel motivated to do this, Brenda? What was it that, you know, the light bulb moment for you that said, this is what I have to do? Um, it was, we were looking for something that we could do together when we were retired, but it had to speak to our heart. It had to feel good to us. And one day when I was driving by the Ronald McDonald House, the idea hit me that maybe I could take my experience of having worked in hospitals before and help people navigate that process. 
and provide kind of like a Ronald McDonald house for adults. <laughs> I love the idea. So is it within your own home then? It is. Our kids are growing and the space that they used to use for their rooms is now available for people to stay in. All right. So, so, yeah, so, so tell us about the process because I'm thinking about, you know, if it was a room that was used in your house, is it just taking down the, the posters in the room or did you have to <laughs> spruce it up? Uh, what, what kind of a cosmetic change did you have to do? Well, we sent all their posters with them when they moved out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, we made them into rooms that were, were comfortable for them to be. So queen size beds for everybody. And uh, the, the, the bathroom across the hall got renovated so it could be nice for our guests. Um, but basically, they get to be part of our home. So they can be part of the living room and the dining room or downstairs. or It's their home away from home. So, so went through all of the process with the city for the B&B uh, approvals. Okay. And, got ready for them fascinating and, and so who are your typical guests then tell us about some of the folks who've passed through the the frame guest house okay awesome so a lot of our people are here for surgery and so i'll give you four examples of what we do for them um if the surgery date often their cardiac surgeries are an involved cancer surgery so we drop our guests off to the hospital that's one of the things that um people really love by staying here a lot of our guests are older and they don't want to drive in the city so a cardiac drop-off is usually 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we'll drive them down, bring the other person back, the one, the one who's staying with us, so they can go to sleep, have a breakfast later on, and relax during the day, and then we drop them off again at the hospital once someone comes out of surgery. So that process of going back and forth is a great time for them to debrief and kind of organize their thoughts before they talk to their family. Or a lady came from Ontario because her son had had a stroke. And she wanted to be here while he did his initial recovery. So she wound up being with us for four months. And that was a great time for us to help her na- navigate, you know, a recovery from a stroke, because that's what I used to work with as a physio. Or to help her um, feel like she's got family around her when she'd come from another province. Or a- another couple was coming up from Lethbridge, and they were in their 80s. And what we've discovered is that the person who's in hospital is just as worried about the person who's supporting them as the one who's supporting is worried about the one in the hospital. And so by looking after one, we wind up looking after both. And so part of us taking people to and from the hospital means picking them up. So we put a flashing little light on our dash of our car so they can stay inside until they see the car with the flashing light drive up. And it keeps them safe. It keeps them feeling confident. Or finally, a family that was going through a cancer experience and their sons and other family members and sisters, they all needed kind of a home base to come to to talk. And so they wound up using our house as their home base and it became their home away from home. So it's things like that where we're, what does a family need in order to be less stressed? And we look for ways to provide that for them. Right. It's interesting. You mentioned that one, uh, you know, situation where the guest had stayed with you for four months. I'm mm-hmm. assuming uh, that, you know, you keep in touch with them because that's not an overnight thing. Yeah. That's not a week thing. Do you have yep. a lifelong friendships and connections with a lot of these folks? We absolutely do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they've become, the, many of them, there's a sign actually by our door, and it says, enter as strangers, leave as friends. And it's magical how fast that transition happens. I love it. So, Brenda, h- how does doing this motivate you and your husband, Dave? It feels so darn good, Sue. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, an, uh, it's like a hit, you know, where you're just, feel good by looking after people um, and I think that's really the biggest reason we do it is that we love that 
the forming of friendships has been the secondary benefit, but that feel-good feeling is first. You, you mentioned, you know, with your background and, and, you know, the fact that you drove by the Ronald McDonald House and thought, well, this is how I can use my time. This is how we mm-hmm. can use our resources. How would you suggest, uh, because it, it, it happened for you, somebody find their purpose of, of, of giving back? What, what sort of a process can somebody use, do you think? Hmm. I think you have to look inside your heart, really, and look at all the different experiences you've had in life and just say, what is it that I love the most about that? And how can I best use my skills, my resources? Because I truly believe all of us have the ability to make a huge difference to other people. And I think that um, it's our obligation, really, to take those skills that we've developed and offer them back into the world. When you came up with this idea, did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine it would look like this? Is it, has it been more than you ever thought when you, know, when you originally, originally came up with the idea? Um, a lot of it has turned out how I thought it would be, but the biggest surprise has been the impact that it has had on families. Um, you know, daughters and sons who are relieved that mom and dad are in a place that's safe. And though that extended reach that it had, it went far beyond just the person staying in our home. All right. Now, we've got the website here. Give us an idea of the process, because maybe there are people listening who say, OK, I've got so-and-so coming to town. We don't have space for them. Or, or maybe they're listening to our signal in southern Alberta outside of Calgary, and they have something planned at a hospital or some kind of a, a therapy situation. We go to framesguesthouse.ca, and it works kind of just like an Airbnb, or do they they reach out to you with questions? How does that work? Uh, They need to reach out directly to me, so they can't book it online. Okay. Yeah, because we don't support anyone who isn't involved in the hospital, we Mm -hmm. need to screen that to make sure that our guests are only Mm hospital-related. So they just go to that website, and the phone number is there. They can contact me through that or through email, or they can go on Facebook for Frames Guest House, and we're listed in there as well. Do you feed them and do, like, is it just like you have a guest staying with you who, who was invited and was a friend anyway? Exactly like that. And then we, we made up a little uh, laminated card with a whole bunch of options of foods that, um, you know, they just check it off each day of today I would like and I'd like to eat at this time. And we, whatever they want, we make that up instead of kind of guessing what people want because when you're stressed, your needs of what you want to eat really change day to day. Wow. Incredible. Fantastic. The attention, the detail, the resources, and the time. Uh, we appreciate what you do, Brenda, and appreciate you sharing your message this morning. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is Brenda Frame, owner of Frame's Guest House. Again, you have to contact her directly, but you can get full details of that contact information and what they're all about at framesguesthouse.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.